Good evening, it's episode eight. I am Jim. And I am Bob. And we're at Jim Bobcast. Oh, Roberto, 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 Roberto. The wolf has blown the house down and the piggies have been eaten. Yes, unfortunately, Red Riding Hood was not there to save the day. <sighs> Red Riding Wood would be helpful. Let's start by saying that we wish that Raul Jimenez gets better. He fractured the skull. He went for a procedure in mm. hospital, but he's doing well. He's missed yeah, his visit. Uh, yeah, so um, let's start with that point. Absolutely, and it was a, it was a dreadful clash. I think both players were. Um, yeah, quite um, quite out of it. And, uh, you know, you tell by Louise getting pulled at half-time, he wasn't quite with it. I'm amazed, and I think this is a good point to start, and I'm mm. amazed he stayed on the pitch. Yeah, it's the, the rules Jeez. around the concussion, Alan, Alan Shearer went quite into it, didn't he, in uh, on Match of the Day, and was quite, you know, what's got to happen in football when... As a player's life got to be taken well, for them to take concussion seriously? not many years ago to just last week. It's, I think, about four or five years uh, last week that... Philip Hughes passed away, the cricketer, yes. after being hit by a ball in the head. Correct. And immediately then, the, the world of cricket changed. Yeah. They now have a legitimate concussion sub that you're allowed to make. I, I and also the construction of uh, helmets have been reinforced now with the um, side protection of the grill and things like that. Yeah, well, I think a cricketer is actually insured if he doesn't have a certain speck of helmet now. But football should... I personally think that... With how footballers are playing now, with how fast football is, with the the way that a handball... I mean, we look at Gabriel as well getting hit smack in the face. Mm. With the way that players have to put their hands behind the back because if it flicks their elbow, they're going to get done for handball. You're encouraging impact to the head. I think concussion substitutions isn't about if, it's about when and when has to be soon. I just have to say, no way in the world... Should David Louise have stayed on that pitch yesterday? He came off at half time. That you know, there's so many things. But he was heading the ball throughout the rest of the half, That's... and it kept opening the cut up. But, I mean, the fact he had blood coming up his head, I, I, I look as a side issue because you can get cuts. The fact that that was definitely um, the the, op- the bloke opposite him has fractured a skull and had to have a procedure. Yeah, they don't do them because they fancy it. They did that because there would have been swelling on his brain, and they had to do something. That's all intensive purposes. Probably Raul Jimenez out for the season now. Really? Uh, depending, I don't obviously, I don't know much about what's happened. Mm. I do reckon though that if you have a procedure on your skull, you know, it's very unlikely. Well, know? the recovery time has to be taken with intense care, right? And, and I, I was going to add as well that I thought Wolves put a, a really nice statement out earlier. They were extremely grateful of the support of the Arsenal medical staff, the NHS, and also um, uh, the hospital in London. So it's great to hear that Jimenez is recovering. You know, he started to make some kind of communication that, albeit he's in a bit of discomfort, like he's coming around and his wife or girlfriend now is um, Daniela is supporting him. So it was a harrowing incident. Yeah, and really I think is. I think actually it's one of those things really where because you haven't got fans in the ground, the noise was, uh, you know, it was propelled so much more because there was no crowd noise. And if you weren't looking, you would have thought someone hit the crossbar. Yeah, it was worrying. But The commentators um, didn't... Uh... Yeah, I know. I think special services in and around sport deserve a really special mention. I'm not sure if you followed the Grand Prix yesterday, but the way in which the team at Bahrain pulled uh, Grosjean out of the car was exceptional. I don't think they said that they've had an incident like that since, unfortunately, the loss of Ayrton Senna. Um, There was the... the, Well, the person that died, wasn't he, uh, in Japan that time? I forgot his name 
eludes me. He was uh, the Brazilian. Jules something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, we'd have to check it out. But, um, I mean, his car was... Jules Bianchi. Yeah, that's right. But that, that's something, you're talking, you're talking single figures uh, yeah. on that. And that's because they've taken something, much like we just mentioned with cricket, they've taken something, they've gone, can't have that happen again immediately moved on and changed safety. Football have to follow suit. Now, this isn't, you know, Jimenez has been injured, he's gone off. But, you know, you had it last season or season before, uh, Hugo Lloris came back on the pitch after a head injury and then immediately hit the floor a few day, a few minutes later in a complete state. I think that David Luiz should have come off for, for several reasons. Having a bodily fluid ex- excrete from his body, you know, during the COVID situation they're in, can't help. And that has to be taken into account. So the blood is one thing. The second thing is he's had a massive head trauma. You don't know what's going on inside his head. And the mental aspect of that as well. He's just seen a person he's clashed with gone off the pitch. Yeah. His game readiness, you know. Well, well, and I think moving on from that to the game, uh, and that was a nice anecdote to him and Evan. Uh, like I said, we wish him well. But moving on from that to the game, it reminded me at that point when you still want to be competitive, right? You know, the show must go on. But it reminded me of that point when we had the horrific uh, leg break of Eduardo versus Birmingham those years ago. And that was one of those telling games for us where if we went on and won it, the league was ours to lose. And I was thinking, when you lose such a star player like that after seven minutes, and him and F is obviously one of their top, top players, I was thinking, well, look, the game's carrying on and the medical staff are not saying that we should cancel the game and things like that, then Arsenal should have the upper hand here because Wolves should be a bit disjointed. You could clearly see that uh, Nuno um, Espirito was um, was was obviously concerned about um, Jimenez. And they made us look like the team that had just had the player injured. It, again, we're playing at home. It's supposed to be, you know... Our, our place of worship, you know, the place... You, our no stronghold, one, our fault. Yes, no one comes here and upsets the apple cart unless you leave here with absolute blood, sweat and tears. And it, the, the first the first 60 minutes were, were so flat and dreadful. Again, outplayed, the, the continual attack, the pressure, the way they managed to open us up and counter us and get into variable one-on-ones and move the ball around. The lad Podence had a great game, took his goal really well. I thought they contained Triore better than other teams had done. Uh, I've seen him rip teams apart a lot more than that. <laughs> there was a funny moment with Rob Holding. I don't know if you saw it. Rob Holding's uh, been penalised for a foul on Yes. Him. And he's thrown the ball and he's just gone, he's built like a brick shithouse. How's yeah. he gone down like that? And that was probably the highlight of Arsenal's game yesterday. Yeah, it was, was funny, was, that. Was Rob Holding's I, I, reaction. Yeah, it was good. That was another good thing for the refs being mic'd up. It came, uh, came through on comms, but... Yeah, look, I dissect the performance again. Second game of Bamiang's played number nine. I hold real issue with his performances now because it's been over a period of time. And, you know, he, he trots around the front line. There's no press, nor is there a sit-off and take a man. So it's not one or t'other. I thought Saka was poor. You know, he's been a bright light and we, and we you know, rose-tinted glasses because he's a young lad out of Hayland who's 18. But... Now it's happened in the Leeds game and now it's happened in the Wolves game. He has to t- take at least one of those chances. 
Yeah, he's missing chances that if you're going to be part of the front three, you have to be taken. Well, you have to at least hit the target. You've got to work the goalkeeper. I thought the chance was lame against Leeds and it was not, and obviously misses the ball um, against Wolves. Quite a lot of um, tabloids, Bob, um, had Willian as uh, a highly rated player. Now, look, I've seen some player ratings out there today. Now, whilst... I don't necessarily say William was our best player yesterday. I thought he had a bright half. I remember I messaged you halfway through the match to suggest I would have changed the tactics. Uh, our worst players on the pitch yesterday, in my opinion, were Ceballos and Xhaka. I thought they were dreadful. I thought Xhaka had one of his poorest games for a long time. I think our other bad player yesterday, I, I thought Aubameyang just looked absolute dross. Yeah, he, he. You know, I think when he when there was a good ball from Bellerin he's came the captain. in. Yeah, he is, and he's not leading that team. He's not going out there and sweating. He's down the uh, tunnel first now. I know there's no fans to applaud, but he's off the pitch and straight down the tunnel. You know, he had a golden opportunity to score yesterday with a ball that was slightly deflected from a Bellerin cross. It's a free header, six seven yards out. He kind of almost jumped too early and span on it, like headed it with the back of his head. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was like a, a, you know, kids football playing. Yeah, I agree. I thought Bellerin looked okay again. He, you know, he seems to be finding a little bit of form. I think a lot of people have harshly downmarked Leno as well. I mean, a lot of people I, say he's I think a five. I, I'm, I'm rocking him as a six. I think people think that he could have done better with one of the goals. You know, that it's a deflection from a shot of which, um, and then a deflection where... You know, and he sort of doesn't make himself big in the against the opponent's goal. Um, he wasn't gripping the ball a lot yesterday. There was a few times the ball spilt mm. from him. He, 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 he gathered them quite quickly. Uh, I think it obviously, you know, he, he could have been put off by the fact that he was wearing the away kit in goal. <laughs> I, don't I think spotted so. that immediately you yesterday. You, and saw then all, that. you saw that from well, a Is he wearing the away kit? And I thought, you know, fair enough. You know, yeah, kit clash wasn't there um, on the uh, on the standard away kit with the gold of uh, of wolves. So um, we were, we have a black goalkeeper's kit that shouldn't clash with anyone other than Newcastle, and I think our other one is pink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, the, the reason why he wore white yesterday, and I'm I am cynical in this approach. A friend of mine talked to me about this with uh, when England were playing the other week. He goes, oh, "Why do England play in blue now? Why can't they just play in white like they used to?" I went, "David, it's money." And it is purely money. He played in that way because they haven't shifted enough of those shirts <laughs> because fans aren't going to the ground, so they're not wearing their football shirts enough. They need to shift that shirt. So they thought, let's put it in the keeper. You know, let's put the keeper in it, see if we can shift some more. I agree with you about Xhaka and Ceballos. And, and now I've seen them play a couple of games without party. Or how many? Yeah, they neither of them get in my team, even if we're playing a three. I, th I thought Will uh, Willock was quite harshly rated. I thought he did enough to he was trying to be bright and, and press on. But there is, I was I was screaming at you on our WhatsApp chat during the game that the complete lack of movement in the final third. There's no one pulling a man. There's no one moving in behind. There's no one looking to pop off or or, or slip in for a one-two. There's no one finding the pocket. And they're overlapping and overlapping on the on in the wide positions, and they're just they are attacking and playing into opposition's half. And I said to you, I think I could count inclusive of set pieces, best part of thirty crosses yesterday, and it yielded two chances, one of which Gabriel took very well, and the other which Abamyang missed. 
But if that's the game, we've got to have 30 crosses to yield two goal-scoring opportunities. When has this ever been Arsenal's style of football? We never played it with Giroud, and he is a colossus as a headed player. And we haven't had a player who could head the ball so significantly since Alan Smith. I mean, in all due respect, in Alan Smith, we were more favoured for a long ball approach yes. rather than a wing attack And approach. he held the ball up with the, run- with the runners like Thomas and, and such the like going beyond him. Mass. Yeah, absolutely. So... I just I don't understand this style of play. And 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 this is an issue I actually hold with Arteta because he hasn't played in an Arsenal team that plays like this. He didn't play in another team that played like it. And he certainly as sure as shit didn't play in a um, or coach in a Guardiola team that played like this. They were using the width to stretch the middle of the pitch to find the passing lines. And Willock's sort of travelling towards the opposition goal, beating a man, using a slight turn of foot and has no options. And I watch Aubameyang and he's not creating chances for himself. And I, I joked with you yesterday and I said, Arteta boy is retiring number nine. Well, if he gets his advent calendar and he opens it tomorrow, he's going to go open window number one, he's going to carry and go and there'll be no nine on his advent calendar <laughs> because he doesn't believe in the nine. It's, yeah, it it's ridiculous. Mm. It's ri- you're absolutely right. We know we we sitting here slating Lacazette earlier on in the season. Oh, you've got to play a Bamiang through the middle. You've got to play. You know, and we 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 should stood here or sat here rather and shouted that from the rooftops. Now he is playing a Bamiang through the middle. The, the the tactic that is being employed. You know, it doesn't matter. You, you might as well you know, might as well go back to playing Willie Ann as the bloody false nine. Yet this is bamboozling that we played that badly yesterday and we were bad Mm -hmm. you know we were battered at home by a wolf side that was on parity with us in the league in pretty much most things although they're in slightly better form coming into the game we were battered by them yet the confidence the attacking flair the style of football that we played on thursday against Mulder was light years apart from what we played. And I don't mean the quality, because obviously you can say, well, the opposition wasn't as good as Wolves, this, that. We played on a plastic pitch in Norway in November. Cold, plastic pitch. We didn't put out a first team 11. And we played with so much more flair and happiness and swagger and movement was the movement. Some of the movement we played there. You know, if you look at the goal for the for the lad, the boy of Balogun, mm. his the movement that led to that goal was was inspiring. Yeah, it was and he, proper he, movement. But he just chipped off of the centre half, bought himself a pocket on the turn because the ball was slightly behind him, and fortunately um, managed to reverse the shot. So only caught the legs of the keeper, but went into the goal. But something I noticed a lot from that game was obviously Louise played finding him back into some match fitness. And you know he went off in that game because he had a knock on the head. Oh, right. Which is why I'm absolutely perplexed back to my first point of the day, how he stayed on the pitch. But the point I was going to make was Louise often jumped up in the pocket and played a higher line and just played the ball beyond the midfield in that game. So, and I've I've often said to you, I think he's our best passer from deep. A hundred percent. I agree. And, and, and it highlighted for me, Xhaka and Ceballos offer nothing. They don't offer enough surety defensively because they're not strong enough in the tackle, nor positionally are they good enough, and they sure as shit aren't quick enough to track a man on the, on the move. And, and their range of passing is not nearly good enough 
to break a passing line. So they're just not good enough to play. I saw a picture on Twitter earlier on that someone's posted about our average positions during the match. And it was other than Aubameyang in the nine place, in the centre there, and the keeper in the centre, it was almost like Moses had come and parted our rest of our team. There is a, a chasm, a canyon in the middle of the park where a midfield should be. And... No wonder teams can run through there. We are missing. We, we miss Party, and he's played what? Has he played hundred and? Has he played two hundred minutes for us in the league? Party, two full games, maybe two hundred and fifty minutes. He's played two hundred and fifty minutes for us, Party, in the league, and we miss him like he's played two, three seasons. Yeah, first. and now he's going to be out for a prolonged period after just having a niggle in um, at the at the start and. And this is this infuriates the fuck out of me that we never get players back early. Every team has that one a season where we're like, oh yeah, we thought he's going to be out for three months, but we managed to get him back in ten weeks. But the we... amount of times Harry Kane has been on a long-term injury, yet miraculously Aguero's had millions of long-term injuries, always comes back fit quicker. And, and Party was had a little niggle. One of them was like no issue at all, and the other was like a knock. And then he had an international break. He missed last week, and we just we just thought, oh, it's precautionary. They're bringing him back for Wolves, and now he might be out for another six weeks. Yeah, I mean, obviously Arteta said he'd be out for a, a few, and he's not going to be ready for a few games. You know, one I just I've always held issue with this for a while now, ever since the the legendary Gary Lewin left the club. To be honest with you, ever since Gary left. Our injuries and how our players have continuously got injured and then returned from injury has been nothing short of diabolical. Well, miraculously, Gary Lewin's brother replaced him for many years. Yes. Uh, And they now have a practice together in Essex. They do. (laughs) I just... But yeah, quite a few Arsenal players who have left for other clubs have actually critiqued the physical and um, recovery um, setup at Arsenal. There's something Um, wrong there. There's definitely something wrong. Yeah, I mean, I remember being told a story by a friend who was attached to the club that Jack Wilshere's family and his agent, I understand, went into um, into Arsenal and there was a former coach there, Tony... Oh, Tony... Tony Colbert. Tony Colbert. And he was the recovery and fitness coach. He was. Working alongside um, the Lewins. And uh, Wilshere's family refused to work with him. I mean, obviously, we have to quote allegedly and all of this because yes yeah, yeah. Uh, not being in the room at the time but no I, I've I've heard similar things on that that front but I heard Wilshire brought in his own personal recovery coach I heard Van Persie did it uh, I, I've heard other players have done it before I mean obviously Wilshire has gone on to be injury prone at other clubs namely West Ham uh, so there is obviously he has... Yeah, but the recovery from initial injuries can leave lasting problems I've not seen a Ramsey with an injury when was Ramsey's last injury? Since he's left Arsenal, he's yeah. played week in, week out. Thomas Partey could play 100 minutes a game for Atletico Madrid, no injury. He had an exemplary record, I read earlier, before mm. he joined Arsenal. Kazala, Kazala, sorry. Didn't play for like however many years, injured. Thomas Rizicki, before he came to Arsenal, fine with injuries, come to Arsenal, injuries. Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck, played for United, when he probably when he shouldn't, all of a sudden comes to Arsenal, injured. You know, our injuries... And the way our players get injured is, is very high. 
we've always had high numbers and we always you and it almost seems like the key players get injured you you never ever go for a season where yeah. you know when we're talking earlier on in the season you know look at look at El Nene for example further on in the season we're slating him and ridiculing him then all of a sudden he becomes a key part of our team gets injured I know you can't odds COVID but it's it's almost like what goes on at Arsenal Football Club that when a player starts to play well and gets a key key part of our team injured um, so one thing I just want to say more about the Wolves game, because we're kind of moving a bit beyond it. I think Tierney's been playing himself into bad form as well. It was his worst game this season by a long shot, Kieran Tierney. Was he wearing a jumper beforehand or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, it looked, yeah, he had a, a Tesco bag of shorts. It was. A, I, I actually think... He, he's, he was poor in possession. It looked la- he looked lacklustre. He had uh, a few good balls. Yeah, t- just just technically, he just wasn't on it like normal. We lost something when Louise went off. The mid, I don't <laughs> look. Who is to blame for this shit at Arsenal? Honestly, it, this now, I asked you to run some numbers because I had a feeling that we've never ever ever been this bad after ten games, and you did run some numbers. And you're right. This is Arsenal's worst start to a Premier League season. After 10 games. It's ever. Ever. In the Premier League era. Right. I'm not, I'm not looking at, you know, I'm not going back to the day, Doc. Yeah, but you're looking, I mean, that's that's 25 years. I've I've ran some numbers the last 10 seasons. It's certainly our worst start of the last 10 seasons. I've also ran George Graham's last season, which was our worst finish in the Premier League. Uh, and, you know, George Graham in that 94-95 season, after 10 games, had played 10, obviously, won four, drawn two, lost four, 14 points. This season, we've got 13 points. He'd scored 14 goals, conceded 11. This season, scored 10, conceded 12. This is the first time Arsenal have had a negative goal difference after 10 games. Ever? Ever. The nearest we've got to that, we've done it last season under Emery, we had a goal difference of plus one. We also, in Wenger, which was Wenger's... Uh, one of Wenger's worst seasons was uh, 10-12, sorry, 11-12 season, where we had a goal difference of plus one. But I think it's worth noting that we had a goal difference of plus one and we lost to Man United 8-2. <laughs> yeah. So we had a we had a minus six. So yeah, game. he had a minus six in one game and still managed to have a positive goal difference. Yeah, he also scored 21 goals. Right. He conceded 20 and had scored 21. You know, the season before, 10-11, which, you know, we had 20 points after, you know, 10 years ago, we had 20 points after 10 games. And in Wenger's last two seasons, before obviously the fan base uh, opted for him change. Yeah, so in his last season, you know, when he was that bad, he had 19 points. Right. Goal difference of two. So, no, it weren't great. Uh, I'd fucking but, but in that last season, I think there was, there was some performances against... Uh, you know, he lost against Liverpool 4-0 yeah. away from home. His issue was was always just a couple of hammerings a year. Um, you know, and... He won six games, drawn one, lost three. One of them against Liverpool. I think there was a Chelsea game in there as well. I mean, it's... Um, look, the stats don't... Stats never lie. I know people say they manipulate what's actually going on, but statistics are the foundations of fact. So, this is our worst start in every element. And know? I'm not suggesting, like last week, that he be sacked. But 
I'm suggesting that we need cardinal change. I said to you earlier, I don't think the players are playing for him. I don't think they believe in the model. I don't think that he's got complete control over the dressing room. I think him and the staff are out of their are out on their ass in retrospect of the formations that they're trying to put out on the pitch because the players that he's putting out is not translating from the training field into the Premier League because on a complete contrast to what he's doing in Europa League, it looks like a completely different beast. And and how he can't get what he manages to get out on a Thursday and produce it into the weekend is beyond me. But subsequently, teams have watched the way he manages, and we call him the tinkerman, but people have got an answer for every single tinkering. I, I said this to you yesterday. If we look at Arsenal Football Club, and we disregard the end of last season, that summer period of time when we come back after COVID. Prior to COVID, we weren't very good. Since the start of this season, we've not been very good. I honestly believe that that summer period has heavily, especially with the uh, the FA Cup win as well in there, mm. you know, that's heavily tinted our glasses to more of a rose colour when it is looking at Arteta. I don't know... You know, you can blame the squad and the, the the team he's got there, certainly. You know, he's got eight central defenders, which he doesn't need. He needs creative midfielders. Yet, but he signed he, a central defender this window and not a creative midfielder. Two. He signed two, if you include Mary. Yeah, I mean, again, manipulated stat, you know, because he was already in the squad. But that's what I mean. We've added two. We've well, added... You, you've, you've added another defender in Cedric as well. Yeah. So... If you go on it like that, but... You know, Martinez Martinez may have qualified as a homegrown player. He'd been at the club over 10 years. He'd been at there since a young youth. He would have qualified as a homegrown Yeah, and you sold him and brought in Runnison, which would have taken away, because he's 25, that would have yeah. taken one of the um, slots for an overseas player. Million percent. You know, we, we say, oh, I'm crying out for a creative midfielder. I don't want to bang this drum again, but I'm going to give it a little tap. You are crying out for a, <laughs> a creative midfielder. And you are not paying one. Uh, Sorry, you're not playing one. You're paying him for doing nothing in Ozil. Yes, you are. And like I, I joked around with you yesterday, and I think I knocked out a little tweet just trying to, you know, tickle the plums of a few fans. And I said, um, bizarrely, Ozil's landed on his feet by being deregistered because he he has been one of the scapegoats that people have pointed the finger at, at Arsenal in the last four years. And the one thing that they can't do now for this absolute shower is point the finger at Ozil because the club have refused to play, play him. I, I, you know, I think I joked with you yesterday. I said maybe it is footballing reasons that he's not playing because Arteta has no, you know, he wants to play this archaic crossing from the wide thing, which doesn't require a number 10 like Ozil. So maybe it is footballing reasons. Obviously it's not. Look, I, I Look, just think that they are who to blame. Is it the players? They're not playing well. Is it the manager? He's picking the tactics. He's he's setting up training. Can you blame Edu with regards to the recruitment policies? You said it to me rightly yesterday. It's Brazil, 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 Brazil. We're, we're signing a lot of Brazilian players. Now, don't get me wrong. There would have been a time in our lives when that would have been fantastic. But we're signing a lot of Brazilian players, yet we have an issue with foreign players in the club and not have enough homegrowners. I think there's issues with selling of players. Well, I, I said, we, we talked about recruitment yesterday and how we weren't able to get Uar over the line. Now, I'm thinking to myself that we're saying that 
the board aren't necessarily financially backing us. But the board might have said, we will give you the money, but you need to shift X, Y, and Z. You know, for for Kronke to to say, here's the money for party on here's the money for Hussamoa, fine. He probably agreed to buying both those players, but he said, you need to sell this player and this player. And the fact of the matter is, we have got two players that are earning, you know, if you believe what's in the papers, best part of £450,000 a week between them, that are doing nothing. That's a lot of money. What's that? Two million pound a month, nearly. So I hold it. So, so just to cover off your point, who is to blame? Well, I think all of the above. So let's just start backwards to front. The board. Well, I think the board haven't shown enough desire over the last decade. And when the league was very much, there's two teams, United and Arsenal. And then they allowed there to be a top four. And then they allowed there to be a top six. Both Arsenal and Man United are culpable for this. And now there's a top eight. And arguably, at this stage, we've now fallen out of the top eight. That is a seriously catastrophic fucking demise from the top. That you've not stepped in at one point and looked at what the models of the other clubs who are soon catching you up and surpassing you and not thought, right, okay, fucking battle down the hatches here. Let's, let's latch on. The, the way in which we have allowed Spurs to catch us up and now suitably surpass us, and I don't give a fuck who, with any Arsenal fan who's delirious, they can go on about history and such the like. Spurs is such a better run football club, players, management and um, ownership than, than Arsenal is at the moment. It's, it's just fucking upsetting, to be I honest. Agree. I grew up dominating North London. It was uh, it was a thing that you could always stand upon your other friends in so and around So Totteringham's day was a, was a regular occurrence. And now um, it's embarrassing. And, and we talk a little bit about Spurs on this cast because we go into a game with them this weekend for the first time in a long, long time. And we are massively, massively uh, the underdogs. And But I don't understand how we went... We played them on July the 12th in a game where we were expecting to beat them. You know, you must admit, we thought we were going to win that game, yet we're now going to play them on December the 6th. And it's... Oof, I am really not looking forward to this. But I bring weekend. you back to the point I always say to you, there are two leagues you've got to compete in to compete. You've got to compete in the transfer market and you've got to compete in the playing league. And both of them are like, you know, a battery that just zzz together. And... With the thing around, to go back to your point, Edu has to be accountable here because, one, he and Arteta have come into the club and said, I want a complete uplift. I want Sanei out. I want Hasfami out. I want the scouting network out. I want a complete change. And they have changed the complete way in which we operate. They're now working with super agents. Edu's running all the um, negotiations. And Arteta's now been promoted to manager so that he has a say in regards to the technical um, output that he wants under the um, network of players available in the first team and also the de- he wants also a say in the deals and wants to sort of somewhat understand. Now, I think that's naive. I think it's your first role as a first team coach. I think with all due respect, you need to get 100, 150 games under your belt and understand how to win football games at the top level before you start getting into the boardroom. There's not enough time. The job is short. That was naive, in my opinion. Uh, We took Edu on from an international job 
and he's now come back into the club, obviously an ex-player, but again, could well be in over his head. Socrates begged to leave the football club, the birth, in and around the birth of his child, like, I want to go back to Germany or Italy. If you can terminate my contract, I will leave. So they would have, one, saved themselves the five million that they're now paying him to sit at home, and two, uh, all right, they wouldn't have got a transfer fee, but you would have taken five million for him. So... I think Sub- that's what they were wanting as well. Subsequently, yeah, one balances out the other and also allows an international player to come back into the fold. Um, you've re- you've su- Okay, so look at Cedric. Can't get into the team Bellerin's playing. You've got Maitland-Niles as backup. Cedric's taken another international position. Mari, you've got multiple centre-halves that are there or thereabouts. He that was injured. That are fit. He's taken up a um, a place as a um, as an international player. So all of a sudden, you're sitting there thinking, I can easily get Urza win if I need to, right? But we've gone into the market and bought Gabriel over and above that, and also bought a goalkeeper outside of Martinez that took another international place in the squad. And then they've brought William in. But what Edu has done is, all right, Martinelli looks to be an absolute find. And let's hope that he comes back from injury, the same player that left on injury, because he looks to be a serious talent. He looks sharp in training. There was some training footage of him. I saw, yeah. I don't want to over-egg him. I've told you this before. Like, you know, he's a young lad. He's played 35 professional games of football. He needs to be given time. Like, we cannot... The way in which the club, fans and X, Y and Z are now resting on Saka... It we is, are pinning our hopes on the youngsters. Yeah, and it's not right. Um, it's, it's, it shouldn't be that. They should be the compliments, you know. They should be the fine sauce on the meal, you know. The Caesar salad accompanying the steak. You know, you get a Caesar salad and, and, well, you put a bowl of Caesar salad on a plate and a piece of steak and that's how you have it. <laughs> you know, that's what they should be. But they're not. They are... Homemade croutons, by the way. They, <laughs> they, they are being used, and this this is not good. We shouldn't be sitting here going, oh, Saka's had a bad game, he is the saviour. You know, it is but coming look up to at, Christmas, you, but this is not that time. But you look at Chelsea, you know, they're easing Reese James in. He's now getting the accolades he deserves for just... But, but, but he's been well managed. You know, Mason Mount, other young players that have been brought through there... Spurs are now kind of giving Joe Roden, uh, Rondon or Roden his his chance, and you know, and they've got, and they and they they get the chance around the senior players to just ease these guys in, and all of a sudden they've got 20, 30, 40, 50 caps to their you know, name. You look at how teams are managing Greenwood at Man United, That's what I was say. Rashford. You know, they've 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 nursed Wan Bissaka in now. All of a sudden, he's got. You know, they're using this Twang Zabi, um, the young lad. He looks quite a good player. You know, you know. Liverpool, they just managed it. Joe Gomez. I think he's played 75, 80 games for him. He's a young kid, you know. The way um, they managed... Curtis uh, Jones, <laughs> another one who's they're just easing through Alexander the system. Alexander Arnold, the way they've managed him into the squad <laughs> to being more, probably one of the most phenomenal right-backs in world football... Yes. ...is, yeah. is nothing short of, of fantastic. So, no, I think, again... I and, just, and just you know, and and every headline now is about Saka, 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 and now all of a sudden, right? He's got all this stuff on his shoulders. He misses against Leeds and he misses against Wolves. And all, we're just goading him, and it's like the boy's eighteen. He's, he he should be the one that's coming on at sixty minutes when we're turning it up and making it four 0 and everyone applauding him. Yeah, and now when he's not, when we're not sure if he's not fit or not, yeah, we're all fucking. Oh my god, I, I, I beg he's fit, and it's just the that's where the demise of the squad's gone, and. I just don't understand why they can't be more clinical in and around squad management. Terminate Socrates' contract. 
Let let Mustafi go for five million. He all of these players are on big salaries, you know, big big salaries. They're not good enough to command that wage either. No, and I and I think this transfer window is going to be really interesting. I know I feel quite cynical at the moment, but I am concerned that I think you're going to you've re-signed Aubameyang. His head is clearly not in the club at the moment. I, I Lacazette, could, yeah, Lacazette looks like a far. I be I won't be shocked if. Uh, you know their New Year's uh, resolution is is new football elsewhere. I, I think you you mentioned it to me earlier on about the fact that we could get some transfer requests coming in in January. I I certainly think that's the case. I mean I know I said to you um, and you you rightly gave me the rule and I haven't checked it out whether or not there's a special dispensation or not available. But I wouldn't be shocked if Party wants out straight away. The club's resting their laurels on him. If his team or uh, network around him reads the press, they'll read that Arteta didn't want him. He wanted Awar. But Awar actually, interestingly, has been um, expedited away from a couple of training sessions. Yeah, he's, he's, having um, some issues. he's having it out with the Leon board. But I think he'll be watching Arsenal and think, what the fuck do I want to go there for? Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you draw a player now? You know, it's a free falling disaster. I'm thinking that that's the thing. You know who you, we 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 talked about this at length earlier on in the season about parties' salary, and this is not me trying to wind you up, but this is me saying when we go to January and we start looking at these players, they're going to be like, well, why do I want to come play for you? And we're going to have to go. Well, we're going to pay you, and that's it. We're going to have to bump up some salary. You know, Jubalushlai. <laughs> is he going to want to come play for us? Well, I said to you, um, you know, that, that's all gone a bit quiet, but you're a month away till the opening of the window now. But a player like him, if he's if his form has continued, I haven't followed it since we last mentioned him, but if his form continues and he's going into the January window with a £22.5 million release clause on his name... Nothing. It's, it's pittance. That's not even what you'll pay... It's probably what you'll pay Ozil for the rest of the season. I mean, I I will be flabbergasted if they don't re-register Urzel in January now. I, you know, you've just said after 10 games, it's our worst ever start from an attacking sense. We've got a negative goal difference. I certainly think the the term uh, footballing reasons will have to be revisited. And if it is footballing reasons, there's, I'd be flabbergasted as well. But I don't know if any of the press uh, are <laughs> being able to ask... Me, um, Mesut's training, we understand he's training well. You've got a negative goal difference. You know, will you be re-registering him in January? They'd be told not to ask that question. Exactly. That that tells you a lot. I mean, I think one of the dishear- most disheartening things on this football club at the moment and with Wolves match in particular was Roy Keane's comments. <laughs> and he said it tongue-in-cheek, but it was actually deadly serious. And that was, he go, He sort of says, I think they'll stay up. I think they'll be too good to get relegated. And that's Arsenal Football Club should not ever be in that same sentence. We've never been relegated. Yeah, and he'll take serious fucking enjoyment saying that because he remembers the vast majority of his career when he went hammering now with Arsenal Football Club. So, you know, he's a competitive guy, was his whole career. To see the demise of one of his greatest ever rivals will be, he'll take enjoyment from it. That to me... I'm not, if, I would never take enjoyment for that. That, that shows a bit of lack of class. Nah, it's not, well, I would take enjoyment from it. So, moving on from Wolves, mm. you know, dreadful game. Some sad news at the weekend. Obviously, the really sad loss of Papa Booba Diop. Yeah. 
you know, to see a player no age at all. 42. Uh, 42, 1978. Uh, no, considering I'm 39, that's no age for mm. a player, for anyone to pass away. So that's yeah, our heartfelt, thoughts. Um, heartfelt thoughts out to his family yeah. and close uh, ones. Talk, we've got some birthdays as well today. It's Gary Lineker's 60th birthday. Now, that does make me feel old when Gary Lineker's 60. <laughs> okay. And it's also George Graham's 76th oh, birthday. Georgie. Uh, yeah, the good old George. Gorgeous George. And obviously... It would be remiss of us not to mention and discuss the, I'm going to say tragic passing, because at the age of 60, he's young, of Diego Armando Maradona. Obviously, who famously wanted to sign for Arsenal. Yes. And it was the then uh, Football League chief, uh, Graham Kelly, that put his foot down on us signing him, uh, which would have been... A massive change. You know, it would have been Burkamp-esque, the signing of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maradona. Four and a half million, I think it was, the fee or something touted. Yeah, so Diego Maradona passing away sort of brings us to a great subject of who is the greatest footballer of all time. Now, obviously, this is away from our Arsenal discussions, but we're quite bad at the moment. Well, I think we just wanted to have a chat about something uplifting because it is... It is really quite seeding and through gritted teeth, the constant drivel that we have to talk around the Premier League. I mean, we didn't mention the Molder game. It was a strong win. I think it pretty much secured our place in the next round. Um, it was three good goals. Pepe was great again. Um, but that that football is so remiss of what happens in the Premier League, you kind of have to somewhat just let it pass. And... Um, yeah, and, and, and it was it was a telling time to... Look, tweet in your contenders, the uh, hashtag JimBobGoat. There are a few people that uh, Bob's put down on the list. I, I actually couldn't look past one person. And... I know, but there is, there is such a big, long list, if you will, for yes. great players. And it all compare. It all really looks at what you're looking at in a great player. So obviously you've got the, 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 the usual suspects... Pele, Maradona, Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, then you can start looking at players like Zidane and Cruyff, Eusebio. Many people class George Best in that thing. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all forward-minded players, but there's great players all around the world. You know, you've got Beckenbauer, Jarzinho, Bobby Moore's been put in that, Lev Yashin. Gian, Bobby Charlton. Bobby Charlton. Uh, Gianluigi Buffon. Uh, another goalkeeper, Paolo Maldini. Marco Van Basten. Marco Van Basten, by the way, injury has taken away someone that... He was an utterly special striker. (laughs) Yeah, phenomenal. Oh, 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 that Milan team. He probably scored my favourite World Cup goal as well on that swivel volley. It was was a European Championship European Championship, sorry. My favourite World Cup goal is that of uh, Dennis Bergkamp. Against Argentina. Argentina. Phenomenal. What a goal. Uh, But that was a supreme goal. But no, I mean, unfortunately, Bergkamp doesn't get a look in this. Ferenc Bushkash, the galloping major from Hungary. But, you know, you're... um, You know, when you're on this conversation, you you have to completely go into neutral football fan, the greatest of all time. I mean, this is, you know, this is when you're at like Woods or Nicholas in golf, you know. Federer or Nadal in tennis. Exactly. Or Djokovic, to be fair. Doesn't come in that conversation. But, exactly, you know. (laughs) If we were doing, you know. uh, But yes, Pele, Maradona, Messi. Bob, as a fan of cricket, who's the greatest cricketer of all time? Donald Bradman. Done. 
it's Donald Bradman. That's a, that, that's uh, a, that's a, Sir Donald Bradman. Sir Donald Bradman. That's a very simple thing to do, you yes, know. Yeah. But people can mention Garfield Sobers. Sir Garfield Sobers. Sir Garfield Sobers. They can mention all of these people in that ilk. Nah, you just, but, you're stunned. So Donald Bradman, absolutely. Average 99 in international cricket. That's phenomenal. Yes. But no, you've, say, you've got Pele, who, you know, three World Cups, youngest player to appear in a World Cup final, age 17 in mm. 1958. You know, scoring uh, of reportedly over a 1,000 career goals. Obviously, lots of those were in uh, exhibition matches, such what. Uh, you've got Diego Maradona, a person that went... A person that played for his club side and was so loved when his international team in a World Cup semi-final played the home nation in Italy, the home fans in Napoli, the San Paolo Stadium, soon to be renamed after him, cheered Argentina. (laughs) That is unbelievable. You know, Maradona, phenomenal player. Pele, You know, Edson Narantes de Nascimento, uh, <laughs> Pele for short, is a player that is, ah, oh, what a player. Played in one of the greatest footballing teams of all time. Then you've got, back in the era, you've got Johan Cruyff. You know, Johan Cruyff's got a, a, the Cruyff turn named after him, a football manoeuvre. That's some kudos. Mm. Player in probably the greatest team not to win a World Cup. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Eusebio, Mm -hmm. a phenomenal striker. But then we bring it to the modern day. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi's numbers, their stats, their club honours, what they've achieved as footballers makes them not only contenders, but potentially people with a seat at the top table. Well, they've definitely got a seat at the table. I'm just not sure who occupies the throne. And... You asked me earlier to commit, and I just think it's... I I actually think it's all right to be in the nightclub and give a VIP table to a few and just say, guys, just pop bottles and just, uh, you know, be bitching on the dance floor. But (laughs) (laughs) but I... I, I, So I've done my retrospective research. It's obviously significantly easier for me to say this person because I've seen the whole of their career... I think the Messi versus Ronaldo argument is one that's gone on now for nigh on 15 years. If you actually look at the record that the um, the archive men and, and statisticians have put against Pelé for um, competitive goals for Brazil and then his retrospective two club sides, that you know, and the numbers, it's difficult really with Maradona because he was such a phenomenal player. I mean, he... Heavily smited by injuries. Yeah, and... and massive al- injuries. In and also heavily smited by this country just for his sheer cheek uh, of, of, of what he did in 86. He did, he, exactly. The year he's of my had, birth. He certainly had a blotted, uh, a blotted past. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I was talking to somebody earlier, a um, business partner of mine, and it was quite interesting because he was like, you know, you've got to take into account that, you know, people like Best, Maradona, Pele, they would have paid with uh, worse boots, heavier balls. But, you know, but then the competition all around you sort of normalise it. But then obviously if Maradona had scored his famous goal of 86, hand of God, in 2020 and VAR was alive, you know, Argentina, would, would they have gone on and won that World Cup? So, you know, it's it's one of these um, it's one of these things, but Cristiano Ronaldo, for me, nicks it by a photo finish. And 
You know, he's won five Ballon d'Ors. He's the only player to finish top scorer in the Italian, Spanish and English leagues. Yeah, but I don't think it's just in retrospect of those. I think he's the only player to score, to be the top scorer in three different countries, club leagues, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think he's the only player to have scored 100 goals for his country and 100 goals for more than one club. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's again true. Obviously, there's the Iranian lad that scored 100 and something, but... I think he's, know, he scored 108, but we didn't see any club stats for him. There's there's no, you know, there's no comparison to Ronaldo. When you have goats as fans, it's I'm not sure that... When you have goats as your pre-match meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, but look, no disrespect to... Um, what's it now, Ali... Uh, Ali Akbar? Ali Akbar? No, it's not. Yeah, Ali Saidi, is it? Yeah, something like that. Um, but you know, yeah, he scored 108 goals. So if Ronaldo scores another seven goals, he will also be the all-time international goal scorer of, you know, of, of international football. And the next noticeable person to score international goals underneath Ronaldo has got something like 77. He scored 102 goals for his country. Pelé. Like, yeah. I mean, Pushkash has 84. Yes. 84 goals in 85 games. Yeah, I mean, that is fucking absurd in and around that hungry team. Um, oh, that hungry team the, in the in the 50s was a supreme team, broken up by political and awful things in that era. Pushkash later went on to play for Spain, funnily right. enough. Yeah. He played for two countries. Yes, as did uh, Alfredo de Stefano. <laughs> he played for Argentina and Spain as Madness. well. Madness. Yeah, when you, when you gave me some of your data and I did my own research, I'm like, right, he's, he's you know, if you allow him a start of his career, you know, he's had a, a season, if you will, at um, Sporting Lisbon. He's come to United. You know, Ferguson's got into him in the first three years and said, look, what the fuck are you doing? And then all of a sudden, then this just phenom just comes out of nowhere and he scores 90-odd goals in the last three seasons of his United career, scores 450 goals at, at Real Madrid over nine seasons, I believe, and now is scoring a goal a game at Juventus in Italy and has been there three seasons. So for 15 years, scoring a goal a game average in three different countries. I mean, that's fucking ludicrous. I think he's... You know, if you combine his, this is obviously the current time, 1,025 appearances and 749 goals. To perform at that level for that length of time, he has by far the most appearances of anyone that you would put on your great list. You know, 1,000 games he's played and scored 750 goals. Yeah, and has something like... But his goal contributions over his career, he has something like 350 assists as well for club and country. I think, to be to be quite honest with you, from a statistical point of view, and I'm going to take into account Messi's stats that are, are not too dissimilar. You know, Messi's played less games, almost parity on league goals. He's played less games on... You know, the parity that Messi gets with his league goals, I think he loses in his international goals because, you know, he's got a goal, you know, every half a game, every two games he's got yeah. a goal for Argentina. I, I just think that it's very difficult from a statistical point of view to disagree with Ronaldo's stats and how what part of the, the table they put him. 
You know, if you were looking at a goalkeeper and they, you said that they won this many honours and they kept this many clean sheets and they were this dominant in their team and their their way of playing, you would class them in greatness. But uh, yeah, and and they are both greats. And Maradona, absolutely, what he what he did in his club career at Napoli through that through that period of just between eighty six and ninety. I mean, you know, I remember my father telling me about it. He's like, oh, you wait till you see this guy just glides around the pitch. I mean, he the, the whole footballing beacon just slows down when he is in possession of the football. You know, and back then, they used to kick the fuck out of players. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you've made. So how would players that are, we consider greats of today done in that era and those players in this era? Mm. You know, Pele, famously in the 1966 World Cup, was kicked out of it by the yeah. Portuguese time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally kicked and kicked and kicked obviously that can't happen in this day so how good would Pele be in this day how good would Ronaldo be back then you know obviously these are things that you can never no, test you can't and and it's very difficult you know because you say Pele scored 750 goals in the in the Brazilian um, Superliga and also in America at the time when I'm not even sure soccer was a professional sport or a first tier sport there whereby we actually played in America after retiring that puts the well, yeah, but he played a considerable period there. And, you know, and then, you know, Ronaldo's played in, in the Premier League, La Liga and Serie A, which you'd argue are probably, bar the Bundesliga, the three most competitive leagues in the world. So, you know, you, you all, you're never, ever going to move away from this point unless Messi probably moves in January and plays another two or three years because then uh, he's two years younger than Ronaldo, that Messi's done it in one club Largely for that period, Barcelona have been known as the best team in world football. Some of the players he's been able to play with are phenomenal. I mean, quite a lot of them are even in the discussion when you do the top 20 players of all time. Xavi and Iniesta certainly get near the conversation. How far do you have to go to get Ibrahimovic near it? Eto, Henri, certainly in the best 20 players of the modern, well, you know, of, of, of uh, 21st century. You know, it's a, it's a very difficult situation. I just think, look, if he if he stays um, at Juventus on his current trend until the end of this season, which means that he will finish um, the season with another 25, 26 goals, it will then mean that he has scored 100 goals in three different countries in his career, plus 100 goals for his country, Portugal, who, you know, and it's not even like in Argentina and Brazil are the other countries in question and, were the, and have been a dominant force in in world football throughout their period. You know, Brazil were by far the best team between the sort of um, late 50s to early 70s and then had their dominance come again. Argentina are always a top five side. In the season that Portugal won the Euros, Ronaldo scored 13 goals for Portugal. His record is just ridiculous, you know. And he's also, it's also his nature, of his, his talismatic nature. He has the ability to to rise to the occasion, to take a game away from someone, to score. You know, when he scored his hat-trick in the World Cup and he scored that almost last-minute free kick mm. uh, in that three-all game with Spain, probably one of the best football matches yeah. I've seen in a long time. It, it gave you everything. Yeah. You know? It was such a treat to be able to watch that. But that is, in a, in, <clears throat> on the world stage, that that is dragging your country against insuperior opposition. You know, that Spain side, in comparison to the players in the Portugal team, with no disrespect, you know, you can name a couple, Nani, Matinho, uh, maybe Raul Morelos, I think, was in the team then, uh, the old Liverpool centre midfielder. But then you're struggling, aren't you? Rui Patricio would have played. But 
you know, you're starting to struggle. I mean, now you just need to look to walls and you can mention two-thirds of the squad. <laughs> yes. But that, And that's the point. The commentator actually mentioned He that. did, he did. He, he mentioned did. walls of their Portugal links. Oh, and I was, I was spitting. I was like... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Chewing my lip then. Obviously, Jim Bobcast listeners, Bob. Yes. <laughs> he must be a listener of but the cast. look... I don't want to take any gloss off Pele. I just wish there was more of his career that I could have seen that that, that hasn't been done over YouTube. He's won three World Cups. But absolutely. Um, and I believe only he and Cristiano Ronaldo are the two only players to score in four World Cups. Look, without getting pen and paper out and having a little look at that, how many players have played in more than four World Cups? There's not many a player that would have played it because obviously that's a 16-year 16 16 international career and that's if they start like a Pele at 17 mm. and then like a Pele at 33. Yeah. You know, you've got some players that might be playing their first World Cup. You know, I think Rooney would have played his first World Cup in 2006 at the age of 20. Will he be fit to play in 2022 for Portugal, Ronaldo? It's December 2022. So it is a full two years from now because obviously it's in Qatar. And he'd be 37. You know, you'd be far pushed to replace him, wouldn't you? I, I, I well, his, his, his physique and his physical attributes. But he'll know that record exists of Pele's of four, and he is someone who strives to set records. So I wouldn't be shocked that he won't know. Not that he'll be listening to this, but he won't know that twenty-five goals at Juventus get him to another record. Scoring in a fifth World Cup will get him to another record and he just seems to be one of these people that just wants to keep notching these accolades Barcelona are going through a period at the moment where they're just not on their money they've had massive busts up and, and rufflings up there's of, financial of, problems as well as yeah, uh, and, political issues there and like I said to you off air if Ronaldo was to carry on the way he has done and if he can surpass that of the dominance of Bayern Munich in the last year, then he could get his sixth Ballon d'Or and and meet, obviously, uh, Messi at that stage. You were talking about club honours. Barcelona aren't looking favourable to win one at the moment. Juventus are looking likely to win win the Serie A again. If they win another cup, then they're equal at 34 club honours. So you've got a top table. Champions League in there as well that he could win. And then, and then that would be winning he's the won, Champions he's won League. Five Champions Leagues, and that would be winning the Champions League at three different clubs, which is phenomenal. So, interesting enough, uh, the other Ronaldo has actually played for four clubs that have won the Champions League, and has never been in the squad when they won it. Oh. You know, that's that's a phenomenal record of somebody mm. that's played. He's he played, and we when we moved, you know, he started his, uh, you know, we obviously started it was in, uh, in Brazil, then moved to PS, uh, PSV, Eindhoven, then he moved to uh, Barcelona, moved to in, uh, AC Milan, then came back to Real Madrid, then went to Inter Milan, which I find a phenomenal thing, the bloke's ability to play for rival clubs. Yeah, I mean, he, he, was a, he was a fine player. I mean, I, I found his, his record at Barcelona was baffling. He scored 47 goals and left after a you know, season. Ronaldo, uh, R9, is, is probably one of the best number nines ever in world football. Yeah. He is a phenomenal striker. I remember when he broke through into the Brazil team in the famous USA World Cup. Yeah, he was only young. Young lad in that game, he played one game, which yeah. was in uh, which was the dead rubber in the group stage against Sweden. Yeah, what a memory. Uh, interesting, they played. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but they actually played in the semi final that year as well. So they played in the group stage, then met each other again in the semi final before 
obviously one of the most boring World Cup finals in Brazil, well, Italy. That was obviously the famous final. Baggio skied it, right? Baggio and Baresi both uh, missed penalties. But, for... you know, so there's a top table. Uh, Pele, Maradona, Messi and Ronaldo all deserve to eat at it. I've been in awe of Ronaldo's career for, for, for 13 or 14 years. I've been fortunate enough to witness it. I was slightly too young to witness Maradona's, but look past his incident with England to the utter greatness where he just con- where he was completely dominant um, in matches. And statistically, you can only really look at Pele and think, wow, I mean, what a phenomenal... But Pele has been... Not to be a criticism of it, but because of how dominant he was in his career and now of his age, he has been dressed as the humanitarian of football. You know, the he is the messiah of football. He also uh, was a spokesperson and the face of a uh, erectile dysfunctional brand. <laughs> uh, so yes, Pele, the uh, you know the sticker upper. Yeah, yeah, but you know, he's almost kind of treated as the god of football, really, in modern day. You know, yes. and obviously, you know, the the famous photo of him with the World Cup trophy, and um, and so you know, subconsciously you've been kind of not bulldozed, but you know, you've been led to believe he's the greatest player ever to play. But I think only when Messi and Ronaldo are done, when the documentaries fly in, and and you know, an analysis on their careers, you you might just find that. You were fortunate, fortunate enough to live through a period where two of the greatest of all time um, have gone head-to-head for a decade and have been inseparable, really. Do you think we'll ever get something again like this? Do you think... You know, obviously you're going to get players that are going to come through and play football and be been fantastic. But I think the way that football's changing and how it's so heavily media-driven as much as it is quality on the pitch... Yeah. Are you going to get a player to be able to achieve the longevity and superiority that these players are doing? Um, and I think you will, to give you my answer. And why is that? Because I just think that the way the modern world is changing is you're going to get players that play six, seven seasons at full tilt. And then because of the impact and the way footballers want... Now, footballers are are not so much playing for accolades and honours as they are potential contracts. And that's a cynical approach of mine. But Cristiano Ronaldo has not moved from... I I, I can honestly say, in my personal opinion, that I don't think Ronaldo's ever moved for money. I think he's always moved for the desire to better himself. And and to keep ticking off these personal accolades. Now, you remember the story around about Tiger Woods, whose father wrote the picture up on the wall of Jack Nicklaus and Jack aged these years. And Tiger, I've had to get there at the same time or tick him off beforehand. And I, I generally believe that Ronaldo's kind of got his personalised chart in his head of what he needs to do to be the best ever. You know, and he is just trying to tick these things off. And he has got the ability to turn around and say, like, you know, I have gone and dominated in multiple countries now. So I don't know. I mean, do you... Harry Kane's just scored his 200th goal for Tottenham. He's 27. If he spends the next six years there scoring 30 goals a season and he ends his career there with 380 goals, do you consider that the same? No. Because he's not won anything. Um, There's so many players that... I mean, I don't know how many goals Steve Ball scored for Wolves. Or how many goals that Jim Ian Callaghan scores for Liverpool? Or I believe he's their top goal scorer. But, or Ian you, Rush. but, but Thierry's career at Arsenal, you would say, is 
is is far more significant than Kane's career at Spurs, even though their goal ratios are, are, are the same. But Thierry played an invincible side, won the, won the league title multiple occasions, won international um, accolades whilst being at France, whilst um, whilst being an Arsenal player, you know, and, and, and obviously went to a uh, Champions League final as as Kane, but and, and won domestic and won domestic honours as well. So you, when, I think, when I you, think Harry Kane when, to interrupt. Sorry. Harry Kane, this summer coming, I think he has to start looking at whether he wants to be classed in that higher... Harry Kane... He needs to be looking at a move. Harry Kane is 20 years later where we were with Shearer when he should have gone to Man United, some would say. And then he would have got... You know, Shearer's recognised as the the highest Premier League goalscorer of all time by a stretch, but but very rarely on the end of people's tongues as the greatest player in the league. And that's because the trophies didn't follow individual dominance. No, he didn't win a thing. He won the Premier League with, with Blackburn. Blackburn. That was it, in 95. Yeah, so... So then, James, top three. Who is your GOAT top three? In no particular order. I'd like it in... what well, I'd like it 3-2-1, so you can ascend. 3-2-1. So who's third, who's second, who's first? Pele, Messi, Ronaldo. That's very interesting. I am going Maradona, Cristiano Ronaldo, Pele. I think the three World Cups for me, tip it. So Messi doesn't even make your top three? He does not. No, he does not. You know, he's a phenomenal footballer. Greatest of all time. He, 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 he's, he's brilliant. He is a best player, but a great player. I think that, I think Ronaldo is, I would always cast now Ronaldo better than him and greater than him. Maradona and Pele, their phenomenal careers, the way they played football, how they played football, puts them up there as well. Do you well. think that you've put two of those three players in there because they're retired and now you can just remember their brilliance? Where Because Ronaldo and Messi haven't finished yet. What if Messi goes next season and scores 75 goals in a season? He, got he, won't, re- he but- won't have won three World Cups and he won't have... You know, if he won't, if, if he go, if he leaves Barcelona next season and say goes to Manchester City, seems like the obvious one. No, but that's that's not someone I want him to go to. But if he say goes to a a lesser team, say a Borussia Dortmund or a, it's never going to happen. No, but that's the thing; it's never going to happen because he won't be moving next time. His next career choice won't be for his desire to do better; it will be for his desire to fatten his pocket. I think Ronaldo could move again. I could see Ronaldo getting the hundred goals at Italy, saying thanks very much because he signed a four-year deal with them. He's now in his third season. Having a crack at Germany? No, I think he'll go to PSG. Why not? Yeah, model wife. Play with Paris. Still got a home in England. And play with Messi. No, I think Messi will go to Man City. That's why Guardiola signed a new deal. There we go. If he leaves Barcelona, it will be to rejoin Guardiola. So we've got so, Pele versus Ronaldo for our overall goats. Uh, and I don't want to. I'm going to leave that up there. I, I don't want to tweet put- us in your goats though. Jim hashtag Jim Bob Goat to at Jim Bobcast. Let us see your goats. So we've done Wolves. Goat, we've done goat, goats. Goat, goat, goat. Yeah, wolves and goats. Um, right, Bob Araya. Fin- Did you see it on Twitter today? What's that? Rob Beckett. Ah, I mean, a lot about of- the chocolate orange chocolates. And, and I have had multiple lookalike issues with Rob Beckett. Rob Beckett and Boris Johnson, I often get. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe he was talking about uh, 
Is it right that he's the only person that doesn't? And like- uh, Russell Howard, I seem to end up with a lot of comedians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Boris Johnson. Uh, no, I think it's great. Rob Beckett talking about chocolate oranges is absolutely right. These chocolate oranges, they're flooding the market, and he doesn't like them. I don't like them either. That was brilliant. And then today as well, following him from last week's rant, government ministers going out and saying that a Scotch egg could be deemed a substantial <laughs> meal. <laughs> Fantastic. But, a, but that's not a snack egg. It's no. got to be that Scotch egg. And that's why, you know, my, my debate on that would always be done. So a Scotch egg is a substantial meal. Anything other would not be classed as that. You know, I don't really have anything to rant about this week. I think it's just been one of those weeks. I thought you did of, have a rant of the week. You know, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit... I think the the new tier two regulations around the the hospitality industry and your ability to go to the pub is is ridiculous at the moment. You know, a substantial meal, once you finish your meal, you've got to leave. You know, it's utterly it's just the hospitality industry on its knees at the moment. And this is just an absolute joke. I think the bloke today talking about the Scotch egg was put out there to, to leak a way of getting around it. You know, every menu in the world now, every pub's going to have on their menu, Scotch egg, get a free pint. But, you know, that's it. But no, I just think that's really piss poor. You know, I wanted to go and watch football at the weekend with a mate. I'm not going to be able to do that now. You know, because I don't really fancy a roast dinner and watching Arsenal get stuffed, you know. It's December the 1st tomorrow. Yeah. December the 1st tomorrow. Advent calendar's out. Yes. Have you got an advent calendar? Uh, no, I haven't. Mate, you need to get yourself an advent calendar. I'm not, I'm dieting, I've told I've got, you. I've gone for a Lindor one. Oh. Lindor oh. one. Uh, I share it with the missus, actually. Okay. And I've cottoned on to this tactic. So tomorrow's the 1st of December. I always go, you go first, love. You have the first chocolate. Make me sound like a, a gentleman. No, no, no. I know that on December the 24th, that's where you get the big Santa. <laughs> so it's the deviousness of that. So I think we should do our own advent calendar on our Twitter handle, at Jim Bobcast, And we're going to do a great Arsenal advent calendar goal. One goal a day from Arsenal. Sure. Uh, we'll pick it each, you know. It'll be ended with a Jim or ended with a Bob to see who's picked that goal. And you'll be able to see that. So we're going to start that from tomorrow. I'm going to pick first. I'm going to let you know what my choice is. Okay. It's a great goal. I love it. But no, that's, you know, that was the week that was. We're heading into the period of Advent now. All are we going to do it? Are you going to do a cheeky uh, prediction for the Spurs game, Bob? Oh, Christ alive. I, I don't. Yeah, Arsenal, two, Tottenham Hotspur, one. It's the, it's the type of thing Arsenal go and do to play absolute Katmandu for the last month with the only, you know, I think they're, if, they're not up for the, if they're not up for the game against Tottenham, then that's it. You know, they're not up for it. If they get beat by Spurs, fair enough. Spurs are a better side at the moment. They're playing better football. But if they're not up for it, if they falter to a whimper like they did against Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Leeds, if they falter to a whimper like that, you know, I'm expecting them to be exactly like they were against United Mm. and up in their grills, and that's how I expect us to play. If we don't do that, irrelevant of party, irrelevant of fitness levels, I want every player to be doing that. I want to see red cards, I want to see bookings, 
You know, I want to see us put everything on the line. I want us to come back off that pitch having left everything out there. So I think, yeah, 2-1 Arsenal. <laughs> nil, nil. There we go. On that bombshell. <laughs> yep. Okie dokie. Ep eight out the way. Moving on. Wolves and goats. Loving it. I enjoyed that in the end. Like that, that chat around greatest player of all time was a nice softener for what was a poor week. So well, uh, thank you for cheering me up. No worries at all. I'm Jim. And I'm Bob. See you guys soon. <laughs>